Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we get started, just a heads up that this podcast contains adult content. So listen to something else if you prefer a more sanitized view of life. I'm Lisa Gaby-Luggan, health journalist, boxer, and whiskey lover, who is so close to giving birth that I'll have to cut this season of the podcast short. And this is Holy Shit, I'm Pregnant, an uncensored podcast for first-time mums, like me. Back in the day when I used to work for women's lifestyle magazine Clio, and sex was solely an activity for entertainment rather than procreation purposes, I wrote an article about how porn had a lot of bad sex to answer for. Let me explain. You know, the sort of bad sex that has a guy frantically tapping on a clitoris like a deranged writer about to miss a deadline, and the frequently enacted flate and gag routine, all of which ends in a glorious explosion all over a female body part of his choosing. Most likely her face, followed in a very close second place by her cleavage. I was thinking about this article recently because it occurred to me that, similarly, Hollywood has a lot of bad pregnancy expectations to answer for. You know, the sort that has a woman frantically finding a toilet to spew in, but only in the early days is the first sign she's knocked up, followed by a heartwarming montage of her growing belly, ultrasound appointments and nursery decorating, all of which ends in a speedy but horrific labour where she's rushed to the hospital so that she can scream push a three-month-old baby out of her vagina. Oh, and don't worry about any lasting effects of any trauma she's experienced in the hospital because, cut to the next scene, everyone is living happily ever after. Yeah, it makes for a nicely wrapped up 120 minutes of entertainment, but those dramatic depictions, of labour in particular, became my reference point for what the whole experience would be like. But when I actually did fall pregnant, the more I spoke to experts and other women, the more I realised that the movie version of childbirth really was the equivalent of porn to bad sex. So that's why in this episode, we're exploring real stories of preparing for childbirth, who to have on your side and what can help you feel more empowered so that you have the most un-Hollywood-like experience possible. So if Hollywood isn't the ideal, then what is? Well, how's this definition for an optimal birth? It's one where you go in feeling really prepared and empowered. You've done everything you can. And if something doesn't go as you hoped, you've been an informed participant of the process all the way, so you know why. And you're also supported by a health team. That's how Anna Scammell defines it. She's a women's health and pelvic floor physiotherapist and the founder of The Whole Mother. Anna is all about helping women feel physically good from the start of pregnancy through to birth and into the postpartum period. And part of that work includes minimizing the possibility of going through some of those really painful things you've heard of, like perineal tears, which is when the area between the vagina and anus tears as a baby comes out, and episiotomies, which is when a surgical cut is made in that same space, again to help the baby come out. I was just relieved to hear that it wasn't a given because stories of those tears were the kind my high school girlfriends liked to scare me with. Especially we want to avoid those third or fourth degree tears which extend from the vagina into the the anus. So as you can imagine, that's not very pleasant and has a lot of 
can have repercussions afterwards. So I really teach women, you know, how to prepare their pelvic floor, but also knowing what to do in terms of pushing optimally. So, you know, pushing kind of in inverted commas. And I um, highly recommend that women actually push more what's called a coffee plunger sort of um, motion push. So it's more using those upper abdominal muscles, pushing from the baby's bottom rather than their own bottom. So really, you know, teaching them breathing techniques and how to optimally push and how to help prevent, you know, interventions such as, you know, forceps and, and suction. Other than learning the coffee plunger pushing technique, Anna also recommends preparing the pelvic floor at 35 to 36 weeks using the epino every day or by learning how to do a perineal massage. Hang on, epi what you say? Which was my reaction. Over to Anna. It's a pretty cool contraption. It's a inflatable balloon device that you insert um, into the vagina and so it's just sitting kind of at the opening and you slowly pump up the balloon. And so basically the aim is to start stretching those perineal muscles, so which are the superficial muscles of your pelvic floor and that the aim is to, to a physically get your body used your your muscles you know used to that stretch so they've done it before they don't remain in the stretch position obviously they, they recoil but there's that muscle memory of of that stretch and so and there's also the um, mentally the side where the woman gets used to that sensation of stretch so that sort of stinging sensation so it, it works sort of both physically and mentally you know I see the recovery of a, a grade one or two episiotomy is you know can be very good but the yeah, third or fourth is really what we want to be avoiding and so Using this um, device is, I've, I find, fantastic for women. Um, and if they're not interested in that, then they can always do perineal massage themselves, which is um, learning to massage and stretch uh, the perineum area. So the area from sort of, you know, three o'clock through to nine o'clock of the, the um, vaginal opening and stretching through there. One woman I spoke to who really benefited from seeing a women's health physio was personal trainer Tanya Poppet. Tanya's 380,000 Instagram following is impressive, but even more so is her training approach and knowledge and the fact that she hasn't built her following with a feed full of booty shots masquerading as fitspo. I got in touch with Tanya to ask for her expert advice on exercise during pregnancy and tips on avoiding a bad case of ab separation, which will be the topic of a future podcast episode. She ended up telling me that seeing a women's health physio not only helped her modify her training regimen, but also helped her prepare and recover from those tears too. So I was pretty lucky postnatally that my ab separation healed really well, really easily with the rehab that I was given by a women's health physio and 100% recommend seeing a women's health physio. I actually had more um, issues with my pelvic floor because of my the way I gave birth. Laurie decided that he didn't want to come out the right way and gave me a nice tear. Oh, and wow. when you, yeah, when you get a second degree tear, it's actually not as painful as it sounds. I'm going to tell okay. you, it's not okay. as painful. <laughs> it's a little bit painful afterwards, but yeah, I was like mortified. The worst part is when there's like a student doctor in there and the doctor's describing everything that they're stitching up (laughs) (laughs) while you're um, in there oh my god yeah they're like oh now we're going to 
attach this to the clitoris. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what if I split? <laughs> so, yeah, that was intense. But, but, um, but yeah, it was um, a bit of a recovery from that because when you do a second degree tear, you actually tear into muscle. And when you're tearing into muscle, you've got to regenerate and recuperate that. So you're going to have to learn how to reconnect there because you lose a bit of sensation. And yeah, so I had a bit of rehab there and I probably didn't start training. Well, I still, still am not training to my full capacity, but I probably didn't start training to my kind of regularly until I was like four months postpartum. You can't control everything that happens during childbirth, but as Anna said earlier, it makes all the difference if you enter the experience feeling prepared and empowered. I think it's just key that we start this in pregnancy from a prevention point of view because, you know, I do see a lot of women who come postpartum who have issues such as prolapse and that affects, you know, 50% of women. So it's, it's really common and there is a lot you can do to try and help prevent that to, during your, your pregnancy and then starting, you know, those pelvic floor exercises again day one after you have the baby. So my, my point is that I just think that women need to feel, you know, supported, need to feel empowered and educated and really help them, you know, feel stronger and to feel better about themselves because pregnancy and, and postpartum changes a lot in the body and I just think that you, you need that sort of guided support so that you can be feeling stronger quicker. Of course, it's not just the physical side that we can prepare for. Pregnancy and childbirth is is not just a physical event. It is emotional, deeply emotional. It is spiritual and it is something that women step through potentially only a few times in their lives. This is Renee Adair, a doula and the founder of the Australian Doula College. A doula is someone who offers non-medical support to pregnant women and their partners, like Megan and Harry when they had Archie, which is just one more reason doulas have gained more interest in the past few years. Think of a doula as your cheerleader, advocate and sounding board for all things pregnancy related. She can provide continuous support throughout pregnancy, birth and the postnatal period, something that's really been missing for me going through the public system where I've seen a different midwife, sonographer or doctor at every one of my hospital visits. It's a beautiful, kind, compassionate role and we're filling a gap today because where most people find themselves within a system, you know, to have a baby, there's a lot of gaps there. There's not a lot of emotional support anymore. There's very little continuity of care. So the doula offers both of those things quite uniquely. You know, we don't have that village anymore. So the doula really brings that in. And I think because that's all been missing, guys are ringing us now and saying, I want to have a doula. Uh, my mate had a doula. <laughs> mm. I don't want. To, I don't want to do this on my own. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And women are saying, you know, I don't have my mother, or she doesn't. You know, I'm, I don't live in the same state, or you know, I don't want my mother there, or you know, um, you know, it's nice to have someone who's got, who's had the training, who's got mm. the information, and and comes without that emotional, you know, connection. I guess we can be much more objective. For Serena Bird, author of The Joyful Frugalista, having a doula did fill a gap, especially when she found herself giving birth to her first son prematurely. 
and that was something I did prioritise spending money on. She was a godsend, especially as my first child came two months early before we'd actually done any birthing classes. So for paying for a doula to be there on a very busy night in hospital, giving birth to a two-month premature baby was worth every single dollar, let Mm. me tell you, to have an advocate for me. At 32 weeks, Serena's waters broke. She was rushed to hospital and given medication to stop the contractions. The plan was to keep her in bed rest for as long as possible and then have the baby down the track. Um, However, baby Austin had different plans. And I remember I was joking with my sister. It was the 5th of October. My birthday was the 7th. And she said to me, he's not allowed to come on your birthday. He's not allowed to be first. And I said, got that. (laughs) Uh, Got off the phone, went into labor straight away and gave birth the next morning. So he's on the 6th of October. I'm on the 7th of October. So it's a bit of a family joke. Um, And actually, as a baby, he was actually a fairly healthy size. So I was like, oh, well, it's all fine then. It's all good. However, he developed a bad infection on his first day in hospital because he was having trouble breathing. So they put in a breathing tube. Um, And I remember I had a friend come and visit me. She was really excited because she just found out I was pregnant. So she came in to visit me and I said, oh, let's go and have a look at the baby. And my baby was, I kid you not, literally in a plastic bag. I know it sounds bizarre, but um, in order to prevent further infection, they had put him in a plastic bag and they had a breathing tube down his throat. Um, It was the most confronting thing ever, even worse than a humidity crib, having a baby in a plastic bag. So it was all a bit sort of shocking. And then he nearly didn't last it through his first night. The pediatrician called me in and told me to bring my husband back. At that stage, my husband wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital. It was all very weird. Um, So we were all completely sleep deprived by this stage. And it was all, we didn't expect him to live, but he did actually manage to make it through that first night. The next day he was given a blood transfusion. And then from that point, he gradually got stronger and stronger. It was quite difficult because we were sitting, you know, in front of, uh, that's probably an understatement, by the way, it was very difficult, Yeah. But sitting in front of the humidity crib and just sort of, you know, chanting and, you know, sending out, you know, mantras of love. And it all came down to his fight and his will to live. Like as a parent, I'd given birth to him, but I couldn't do anything for mm. him. And I was trying to sort of just hold his hand or hands were sort of a bit difficult because there were tubes everywhere, but just sort of touch his head. And the pediatric nurse said, look, just don't do that. Like he's really sick and this is really going to bother him. You can tell he's really bothered by just don't touch him. And that was really hard because it's, I can't even touch my baby. And so for a long time, I actually felt quite scared to touch him. And that was a bit of a problem when I got him home and was, you know, trying to do feeding and trying to do bathing and so forth. So just, yeah, it was just difficult. Even without going through what Serena did, many parents lack that extra care once they bring a baby home. And that's where having a doula can be such a great support. The research backs it up too. One Cochrane study found that women who had a continuous support person throughout their pregnancy, whether it be an obstetrician, midwife or doula, they were more likely to be satisfied with their labor experience and less likely to suffer from postpartum depression. This is why Renee wants to recreate that village of support for women so that we feel included in the whole process. It's that idea of empowerment again. We are bringing life into the world and we have to stop for a minute and come back and say, well, how are we treating this woman? She really is a goddess. (laughs) She's Mm -hmm. deserving of time. She's deserving of love and nurture. She's deserving, you know, to sit down and be heard and to be a part of her journey included in the journey, have everything laid before her so she can say, well, I'd like that. I would like that and I would like that. And mm. create her vision for her birth and, and her early parenting period. And, and yes, things don't always go according to plan. Of course they don't. 
But we know research has shown us, and even just sitting down anecdotally and speaking with women over many years now as a doula and childbirth and parenting educator myself, you know, women say, I felt so much better. It was okay I had a cesarean because I know I did everything that I could. I know I made informed decisions along the way and I felt included in that process. Mm-hmm. And then you'll talk to someone else who years later to having their baby still doesn't understand how they ended up with a cesarean on their baby's birthday. Mm-hmm. And they have had postpartum depression. They don't feel connected with their child. And they feel resentment, sometimes shame, sometimes they blame themselves. And, you know, that's not, we don't want that for women. That's the starting place. That's the, that's the platform for starting a new family. And those first few weeks and months that we have with our babies is deserving of the softest landing place we can provide. Sounds dreamy, doesn't it? Coming home from the hospital and landing in a soft cloud of new parenthood. It's nothing at all like someone else had described becoming a parent. And I wish I could remember who it was, but they likened it to having one driving lesson and then being forced to drive down a busy highway. And so that my own experience would be more cloud-like than highway, I brought a bunch of questions to Sarah Took. She's a midwife and mum of two who started her own independent antenatal programs after noticing the hospital classes she was facilitating weren't tailored enough for each woman's circumstance. It was too much of a one-size-fits-all approach. So Sarah now offers a number of antenatal programs online and private classes too. I started with this question. I'd heard so much about birth plans. Do we actually need one? The question around birth plans is something that everyone asks about and they're like, am I meant to have this structured thing? Am I meant to download some template from the internet? Look, I think it can cause sometimes more stress than than it's worth. Your birth plan is to have a healthy baby. That's that's the ultimate plan. Um, I think the idea of a birth plan is once you've done some good quality antenatal education, you might have some ideas about those nice-to-haves for labour and birth and those immediate hours after giving birth. And remember that you've got the right to change your mind as well. So it doesn't need to be set in stone. It really is just to get you and your partner or support team talking and on the same page about those nice-to-haves. And if things have to change, that's okay. You can work together as a team because you had that conversation. I like how you framed it as a nice to have. Um, so it's more like a wish list because I have come across other women who have had birth plans and have been really upset when it hasn't gone to plan. And that does sometimes happen if everything is planned to a T, you know, everything, every little, you know, tiny thing, if something varies from that, then there can be disappointment. And I think with birth, we need to be flexible. Yes, we need to focus on what those nice to haves or that wish list is, but we still need to know what plan B, C and D are so that if that has to happen, we don't have those stress hormones kick in. We feel relaxed, we feel supported and we feel prepared for those situations that may arise. I think some people will write their birth plan down if it makes their support person feel more comfortable so that they've got like a bit of a cheat sheet on the day, I guess, to say, (laughs) okay, this is the environment that she wants. I've got to remember things like dimming the lights or, you know, her place list on Spotify. I know she wants to use the bath or it allows them to communicate with those caregivers as well. Yeah. Um, So yeah, a lot of people will write it down, but I would say 90% of what we see written down is pretty standard anyway. So what kind of things are really standard? 
I guess um, people will write very basic things down, like, you know, um, I want to be asked about things. I want to, you know, I want clear communication. I want caregivers to be supportive, all that sort of stuff. That's what the midwives are going to do anyway. Mm. Um, a lot of people will write things down like skin to skin contact after the baby's born or, you know, withholding immunizations or injections or weights and things like that until that first hour is done or that first breastfeed has been, you know, has happened. All that stuff is pretty standard. However, if it is really important to you, I guess it is nice to be able to communicate that with your caregivers. And it just allows you not to forget, I guess. Yeah, a lot of people will write things about pain relief, you know, whether they have done certain courses or they've got different techniques for their breath work or whether they do want to be examined or not examined and things like that. But again, if you're not sure about any of that, we're going to communicate with you as caregivers in the birth suite anyway. In her answer, Sarah mentioned you might start putting together a birth plan once you've done your antenatal classes. So I wanted to know what's the difference between the hospital ones, independent classes or some private one-on-ones? The hospital classes can be great because you get insight into, you know, policies and procedures and visiting hours and all the little, you know, ins and outs of the actual hospital system and where you're giving birth. And often pre-COVID, it will include a tour of the unit as well, which is always really nice. And I think it desensitises people to that shock factor of the hospital as well, um, doesn't cause that stress response when you walk in if it's a familiar environment. Independent courses can be great because it's more tailored to meet your needs rather than a generic, this is what you need to know and there can be options for example for people who know they have to have a cesarean or if it's her baby first baby and his second or vice versa things like that everyone's situation is a little bit different and it can be tailored to meet your needs then I guess what you need to look at is whether you want to do something online or face-to-face as well so lots of different options but I do recommend doing a course that is run by midwife I think having that experience in a birth suite and actually being a qualified practitioner does make a big difference rather than someone who has who probably will provide you with a really good course but doesn't actually have that experience as a practitioner. And what about the birth itself? Why does it seem like everyone is so distraught at the idea of having a C-section instead of a vaginal birth? What about using pain relief versus no drugs? I think at the end of the day, you need to do what's right for you and your baby and you're the only person that can actually decide that. And as long as you're informed and you work with your caregiver, to come to, you know, whatever it makes you feel the best about how your baby's coming out, that's kind of what has to happen. But there's so much social pressure out there that you're not really a mother unless you've pushed your baby out. And what I say in my education to my women is, why did you get pregnant? To have a vaginal birth or to have a baby? Um, and <laughs> that's such I, a good question. <laughs> yeah, and I just think, oh man, your kid doesn't go to school with a sign on their head saying, "My mum needed an epidural" or "My mum didn't breastfeed me." You know, it's your whole life right now. Yeah. But by the time they go to school, you don't even think about it. So I yeah. think we need to have some perspective. But there's this social pressure, isn't there? Look, there's pros and cons of both. Uh, look, as a midwife, I definitely advocate for vaginal birth if that's the right thing for that mum and baby. But some people yeah. feel more comfortable and we have to remember that it's not my birth, it's this woman's birth and it needs to be what suits her. And I've even had patients say to me, I've chosen to have a Caesar because that's what I feel most comfortable doing. And I'm like, well, that's great. And they say, but I can't tell my mum because they'll put pressure on me that I should be having a vaginal birth. And I think, oh gosh, you know. So that's where I say to those people, you know, just just say that the baby's breech. 
or that your placenta's yeah. low and then there'll be no pressure. Yeah. Um, but social media, you know, those images, I just think, oh, wow, you're a mother no matter how the baby comes out. So what about different birth positions? Speaking of social media, I've seen people standing up giving birth on all, on all fours, in water. Is there an ideal position? Again, it is a really individual thing, but there are some basic principles for why we suggest certain positions in labour to make use of the diameters of the pelvis to make it easier for you and the baby. Let's face it, it's a tight fit. So I always say <laughs> to people, you know, let's let's use gravity. You wouldn't do a poo pushing uphill, you know, lying down. So why would you push out a three kilo baby lying down uphill? That is so true. <laughs> I'm like it's hard enough. Let's use, let's be, let's be, you know, birth aware and mm. use these things in our environment to make it easier. And in certain positions, particularly with our legs apart and leaning forward, we can actually open up that diameter by up to 28% more space in that pelvis for a baby to come through. I also think if you do listen to the certain sensations that you're getting in labour, your body will actually tell you what position to be in. And it depends on the stage of the labour that you're in as to what is the best position. But generally for most of the labour, just moving around, you know, a little bit of gravity to help the baby come down in the right direction and legs apart and leaning forward to let that tailbone move out of the way, that's the best positions. And then when you're actually pushing off your back is probably the best. Use gravity and legs apart. And there's lots and lots of different ways you can do that. And you just need to do what's comfortable at the time. So Helen, how did the standard image that we have of childbirth end up being on the back? Mm, good question. We can blame um, movies like Knocked Up for that one as well. <laughs> it looks so much more dramatic if, you know, the waters break first and that really doesn't happen to majority of women and like five litres of fluid pours out and they fly to hospital and then there's medical equipment everywhere. They're on their back with their legs up in lithotomy position or up in stirrups, which we don't do very often. And then five minutes later, a three-month-old baby comes out. <laughs> it's, you know, it's far more exciting in Hollywood if it happens that way. Yeah. Um, but most of the time it's actually contractions first and then water's breaking. And most labours are actually about 12 to 14 hours long for a first-time mum on average. Yeah, I didn't realise that was average. Mm. Um, and I think because of TV and movies and things like that, we actually think that it's going to happen all really quickly and we're not going to make it to the hospital. Mm. And there are situations where that does happen, but that's not the norm. And I guess when we medicalized birth as well, and a lot of good things came from medicalizing birth, you know, better survival rates of mums and babies and all that kind of thing. And let's face it, I had a baby in a private hospital with an obstetrician. So I, I totally get the whole medicalization of birth to some extent. But um, I think we have probably done a fair bit of harm without realizing that we're doing it. It's this psychology of the doctor-patient relationship, probably, you know, a couple of generations ago. When you go to the doctor, you know, they come in and you take on that illness role instead of, uh, you know, the psychology of actually pregnancy being a state of wellness. And you mm. lie down and you get examined and the doctor comes in and fixes things. Um, so that's probably what happened is the doctor comes in so you lie down in order for them to actually help you get the baby out. Also probably when we introduced certain types of anaesthetics that did restrict mobility, that happened. Um, but thank goodness this day and age we are moving away from that, which is great. And most caregivers that I've worked with have been so supportive of mums being active or being in a position that is comfortable for them. 
Having the right people around you can transform what could have been a disappointing experience into something so much better, like it did for my old work buddy Josie, co-host of the podcast The Zest is History. A few weeks out from her due date, Josie was told she'd need a cesarean as her baby was in breach oblique position, which means feet first and sideways. I was really upset. I cried. And I think it was because, like I know labor sounds like horrible experience but I kind of wanted to go through that experience yeah and go on the like and I didn't have like my I always said my birth plan was to just get the baby out safely like I wasn't like oh I must do this and I must do that and I won't have drugs I was just kind of open to the experience I was going to try and have a natural birth but if I couldn't I would have to go with it but it was still a little upsetting to Josie's surprise the midwives and medical team at her hospital made it such a beautiful experience like they were excited, <laughs> like they just made it, it sounds weird, but it fun. Like, it, you know, they were just like excited. <laughs> they like held the baby up and did all that stuff. And it was all just very calm and relaxed. And she's really calm and relaxed baby. So I'm like, do those two things relate? Josie's partner, Julian, was there for the whole experience too. I'd never heard of a C-section being described as a calming one before. Never even seen a C-section depicted on the big screen either. Oh, except for that time in The Walking Dead when Laurie had to be cut open to give birth to her daughter and there was subsequently eaten by zombies. Yeah, it was traumatic viewing. Anyway, so I asked Josie to tell me all the details. She started by describing how they booked the C-section in. It's just so bizarre to be like booking it in like it was a fake tan or something. Like, (laughs) oh, we can't fit you in that day. We'll fit you in on the 23rd. Like, that's the day your whole life will change. It's just so, it was so weird. On the day, she was given an epidural so that she could feel numb from the boobs down. But otherwise, she was awake the entire time. You know, they're like, you won't feel any pain, but you'll feel like pressure and movement, which grossed me out. Like, I got a bit of a weak stomach, not great with like medical procedures anyway. (laughs) So I was like, that's really gross to like feel them like moving around in my body, but like not really feel it, just feel the movement. I just couldn't get my head around that. But the anesthetist, he was amazing. He stood, they just have to kind of observe because they've done the anesthetic, but then they're just there to like, so he was up, they put a curtain up so you can't see anything. Julian was behind my head. He was like being very like using his calm voice. And the anesthetist was like, do you run like meditation workshops? Or are you like a massage therapist or something? Because he was using this amazing voice. And his mom is actually a calm birth. She's a midwife, my mother-in-law. She's a calm birth teacher, like a hypnobirthing teacher. She's a massage therapist and midwife. And it's like he like took on that <laughs> persona <Wow. laughs> and he was like amazing and then the That's anesthetist so cool. was like I really liked what he did because he was giving me updates so he goes okay so you're going to feel a bit of movement here so I knew like he just yeah. was kind of going and then he goes okay in about one and a half minutes you're going to meet your baby which was just really cool <laughs> that he was like giving me those you know okay this is happening this is happening yeah. now because again as a Virgo I like to know what's going on yeah, And I just felt like I was very across the situation and it was really exciting because I didn't know what I was having. That really helped me get through because it was like the excitement of meeting the baby. I just couldn't believe. I was like, I cannot believe that I'm about to meet this baby. So it was surreal to be awake and not feel anything. And then they give you the baby and then they do all their stitching up and business down the other end and you don't notice because you're busy like staring at your baby. So it's quite cleverly uh, done, I would say. Yeah. And I actually found it to be such an amazing experience, even though the element of surprise was taken out a bit and like going through labor and that whole experience. I'm now like, mm, I think I'll have a cesarean again. <laughs> I'm good with not going through labor. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I actually enjoyed the experience so much. Oh. 
That's good to know. Yeah. So I hope you're not like, you know, sad or disappointed about having to have one because it's still no one has once said, oh, you didn't have your baby this way. So you don't know. If you caught the last episode, you'll know that I have to have a cesarean because my placenta is blocking the baby's exit. Medical term, major placenta previa. Well, at my last hospital visit, they decided that it was time to book the C-section in early, which means by the time you listen to this episode, I'll be about to give birth, I'll be giving birth, or I may have just given birth to a baby. It also means I'm going to have to wrap up this season of the podcast earlier than I intended. But don't worry, because I'll be back in a few months to share all the rest of the amazing conversations that really helped me through this first time experience of growing a human. There's still so much more to talk about. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating, review and share with your friends. You can also head to holyshitimpregnant.com for the show notes and to get in touch with me. And please do, because it's highly likely that I'll be desperate for some adult conversation. Good luck to all of you out there. I'll catch you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.